Well, when I look back on my life and recall the, the most stupendous and the most stupid sins that I ever committed, the consistent theme, the, the common denominator is this. Self-justification and self-deception. Self-justification and self-deception. So it always goes something like this. All right, doing this would be wrong. But actually, now that I think about it a little bit, for me right now, in these particular and unique and really difficult circumstances, this isn't actually a big deal at all. In fact, God will probably understand why I would choose this. He can clearly see how insanely difficult it would be to choose the really hard thing, the right thing to do. I mean, what can he actually expect? I'm not perfect, and nobody is. He's merciful after all, right? I can be the exception to the rule this time, right? Yeah, you know what? I am the exception to the rule. It's okay if I choose this. In fact, it might not even be wrong at all. It might be right for me to do this right now. And guess what? Nobody else can say otherwise. And if they do, if they dare to do, to say that what I'm doing is wrong, well then they're being judgmental. And they are not being loving. And they are wrong. Am I the only one that does this? Does this sound familiar? This is the voice of the sinner. And we all are sinners, right? This process of self-justification and self-deception is so streamlined, so seamless at times, that maybe we don't even realize that we are doing it. But then we come across our first reading today from the book of Sirach, right? And it stops us right in our tracks. It stops all of that self-justification. Because we hear there, no one does he command to act unjustly. To none does he gives license to sin. God does not give anybody the right, the license to sin. He gives nobody the right to justify themselves or deceive themselves in what's right and wrong. We can come up with all of the excuses we want. We can do all sorts of mental gymnastics to try to quiet our conscience, to numb it into oblivion. We can twist the scriptures and make them say just about anything. We can dismantle them and demythologize them until they seem to support our own version of reality. But the bottom line is this. We can't change God's mind on what's right and wrong. So we have a choice to make, right? As the scriptures put it this morning, the Lord has set before you, he set before each and every one of us, fire and water. To whichever you choose, stretch forth your hand. Before man are life and death, good and evil, whichever he chooses, shall be given him. That's rather humbling, right? And maybe even a little scary for us. Whatever we choose, we can have. If you choose eternal life in Jesus, 
it's yours. If you choose eternal separation from him, it's yours. As C.S. Lewis put it so well and so starkly in his book, The Great Divorce, he said this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. God respects our freedom. He will do everything in his power as a good father to help us to choose what's best for us. But in the end, he allows us to have whatever it is that we want. So what do we as human beings want? Like deep down, even when we or maybe the people that we love are making horrible decisions, what are we seeking really? Well, St. Augustine answers that question for us way back in the late 300s AD. He says this, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. And then he says this, which I love, there's no one who will not agree with me on this, almost before the words are out of my mouth. Everyone in the world wants to be happy. Nobody does anything with the specific purpose and aim of being unhappy. There's always at least some perceived good, some perceived end that informs every one of our choices. And that's why we try so hard to justify ourselves. No, really, this will make me happy. It's gotta make me happy. But here's the beautiful and freeing truth. God knows what will actually make us happy. He knows what human nature needs in order to be totally fulfilled. Consider this simple image, if you will. For a car that runs on gasoline, I know some of us here uh, drive cars that run on electricity, but for those cars that run on gasoline, only gasoline will make that car run well. Gasoline makes your car happy, okay? Try putting chocolate milk into that car. That car will not be happy. In fact, it'll be miserable. Well, the Lord created the whole human race, and so he knows best of all what makes us run well. He knows what really will make us happy. Ultimately, he knows that only a relationship, an intimate relationship with him, makes us happy. And we call that holiness. Holiness makes us happy. Holiness, as Pope Francis says, is a synonym for true happiness. Our psalm put it really beautifully this morning as we sang, Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. Happy, blessed, happy are those who follow the law of the Lord. And so St. Augustine continues, and he says, what should we ask God for? We should ask him for the happy life. The happy life. Jesus will show you. He will teach you. He will even place his spirit in you so that you can have the power and the capacity by grace to walk consistently in his ways. He himself will become your greatest happiness. And out of love, you will desire more and more to please him and not yourself. 
That's what make us, makes us happy. And I think that's fantastic news. That's news that's worth sharing with the whole world. Because God wants us to be happy. Now the world will tell us that God wants us to be kind of miserable. That we're in competition with him. And that all he really wants to do is pile on more and more obligations and heavy burdens that are sure to make us miserable and frustrated. Now I think, I know, that we need to reject that caricature of our loving God. Because the fact is, our Father in heaven yearns for our deepest joy and happiness. And so I ask everyone here right now, and you don't have to answer out loud, but in your heart, answer it. Do you want to be happy? If so, then it's time for all of us, each of us, to really be honest. Is there some corner of my life where I am still giving myself permission to sin? Where I've given myself license to choose something freely that is out of step with the good and the perfect law of the Lord, who will actually bring me true, lasting happiness. Be relentlessly honest with this inventory. Find a good examination of conscience. Don't justify yourself. Don't let yourself just off the hook, because Jesus didn't let himself off the hook, did he? He put himself on the hook, on the cross, for every single one of those sins. And he did so in order to make our happiness possible. Whoever sins is a slave to sin, he says. And elsewhere he says, I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. This is why it's so crucial for the leaders of the church to continue proclaiming this unchanging truth clearly and tirelessly, and with love, and with joy. Jesus came to make us abundantly happy, and sin makes us abundantly miserable. It just breaks my heart when people respond in anger or with resistance when faced with all of those unpopular teachings of the church on what is and what is not sin. And let's be honest. It's usually surrounding sexual sins. That's what our world struggles with right now, most of all, I would say. Even though there are plenty of other hard teachings from our Lord. They always seem to say stuff like this. But Jesus doesn't want to exclude anyone. He doesn't want us to condemn anyone. He calls us to love. And I can't argue with that at all. That's beautiful. Of course that's true. But remember this. To love is to will the true good of the other. The true happiness of the other. Which includes inviting everyone to deeper conversion. We can't forget that one of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner. Now that doesn't mean berate or hate or break down, or discourage. But it does mean that with gentleness and love and tact, we speak clearly what they are doing is not making them happy. 
The church's leaders have an even graver responsibility to do this. We hear in the letter of St. James, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you realize that, that we will be judged more strictly. This echoes exactly what we heard in our gospel today from Jesus himself, right? Whoever breaks one of these least of the commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so, in light of so many pressures and so many, so many experiences of confusion that I know that we all kind of come under fire with in today's world, I wanted to share with you guys what you undoubtedly already know. You already know this, okay? But I, as a priest, am obligated to share. Any act outside of a valid marriage, and by that we mean a valid union, a permanent, faithful, fruitful communion of love between one man and one woman. Any, out, any act outside of that, a valid marriage, either with yourself or with anyone else, is a serious sin. And it will actually never be able to make us happy. Simply put, this is the church's perspective, which is Jesus's perspective. He placed his Holy Spirit in his church to be able to share with us the riches of what makes the human person fully alive. I'm only trying to do what St. Paul said in our second reading today. We speak not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages, listen to this, for our glory. We might add, for our happiness. The wisdom of the rulers of this age is passing away. But you were made for happiness. You were made for holiness. So, we can't waste any more time trying to justify ourselves or dupe ourselves out of a life fully lived in God. His grace is available to each of us right now. And with the help of Jesus, we can choose to be holy. We can choose right now to be happy.